This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by our new Full Focus Kids and Full Focus Students Planners. Learn how you can equip your kids for a successful future at fullfocusplanner.com. Hi, I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller, and this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. You know, a few weeks ago, we initiated a conversation on race here on our podcast, and then we promised you that we were going to return to the topic and do a little more work once we'd educated ourselves and, you know, kind of had internal conversations and things like that. Well, today, we're going to go further in this conversation by talking about how to create more just and equitable workplaces. As leaders, I believe that there's a moral case for this and also a business case, and we're going to get into that in our conversation. This is actually going to be part one of a two-part conversation because, quite frankly, we feel like this is a big topic and it's just going to take two episodes to really get into. But I'm so excited to be joined by two guests. You know, we don't have guests very often on Lead to Win, but I get to have two guests today. So our first guest is Danielle Rogers, who is our HR director here at Michael Hyatt & Company. Hey, Danielle. Hey there, everybody. It's good to be here. So glad that you're joining us today. And also my friend, Anthony Hendricks, who is the director of the Center for Biblical Unity at Williamson College and also the area manager for logistics at Amazon here locally. He's also the co-founder of The Public, which is a conversation on race here in the Nashville area. And you've heard me talk about uh, my involvement with Joel and that group. And, you know, we're kind of helping with that. But Anthony is one of the co-founders. I'm so excited to have him here because he is also passionate about this topic. So welcome, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure being here. Looking forward to this conversation. All right. So uh, in part one of this conversation, we're going to talk about some of the key issues that surround justice and equity in the workplace. But we want to gain some insight on the primary issues that we're facing kind of before we jump into the practical, you know, how can you start to change things in your own company or your own team, uh, if that's something that you're concerned about like we are. So we're going to kind of give some, um, you know, context and backstory for this so that we can all be, you know, kind of singing from the same songbook as we're talking about these important issues. So I wanted to jump in, first of all, guys, by talking about some statistics, because I think it helps to frame our conversation to understand, you know, exactly what the lay of the land looks like right now. So, you know, I guess the first question I would ask, and I have some statistics to share, too, but what is the reality of racial diversity in the workforce? And, you know, both from your personal experience and also if you have any statistics to share, if not, I can share mine, too. Absolutely. I'll jump right in. Um, But that's a great question about racial diversity in the workplace. I think uh, there is a lot of diversity in the workforce, broadly speaking, but the higher you get into management, more professional jobs, uh, mid-level management, executive positions, corporate positions, there are less, there's less and less diversity that's there ethnicity-wise and in terms of gender. And I know for me, I'm our director of human resources here at Michael Hyatt and Company, but I'm also a black woman. And when I walk into a lot of these professional spaces, the expectation for me is that it's quite possible that I will be the only one or mm-hmm. one of two or three um, that are represented. And the fact of the matter is, is that in terms of racial equality, there are no inherent differences, you know, any quantifiable or relevant differences between the different races. And it is uh, oftentimes disheartening to see that there is not representation in places where there should be representation, when there is competent staff and people who can fill those roles that are just not there because of the lack of access or opportunity, which we'll talk about more um, as we dig into it. But the uh, the interesting thing about this is, is that our world is becoming increasingly more and more diverse. Mm-hmm. And even millennials, which I consider 
myself to be a millennial. I'm just a grandma millennial. I'm kind of on the older end of the spectrum <laughs> in my mid thirties. But, um, for millennials, we are the most diverse, uh, workforce, the most diverse generation that has come up, um, so to speak. And we are used to experiencing diversity in our school systems and in our workplaces. And it's not only something that employers should be thinking about or wondering about, but it's something that this new workforce will expect and will require of their employers that diversity is important and that they're able to model it in the day-to-day with how they interact with and include their entire workforce. That's great. Um, Anthony, I want to share some statistics and then have you kind of react to those, if you will. So, um, you know, this is from uh, the Chicago School of Business, and they said that only 8% of professional positions are held by African Americans. Uh, of those, 3.2% are senior management positions. Um, only 0.8% of Fortune 500 CEOs are African American. And that's despite the fact that 10% of college graduates are African-American. In other words, we would expect to see at least 10% representation uh, in the professional world, but that's not what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So I agree with Danielle, you know, um, so I've been in both the corporate space and I've been in the religious space uh, for lack of a better term. And in both the situation is, is very similar, unfortunately. And that is the higher up on the corporate ladder that you go, the less and less uh, diversity you see. Um, and that is, and that is in, in spite of the fact that there are many people of color who are educated, who are um, extremely gifted in their area, their focus of either business or ministry. And yet um, we still see these disparities, um, the higher up the ladder you go. There are many explanations for that, I believe. I think we're probably going to get into them mm-hmm. um, as we get in further into this discussion. But those numbers, um, Man, it's it's hard to hear those numbers, but it's even yeah. harder to experience yeah. those numbers. Mm-hmm. Will you say more about that? I'd love just you know a little bit of information kind of on your personal experience. As a um, senior executive with MCI Telecommunications back in the day, and if you're 35, 40 and older, you probably know <laughs> who <laughs> MCI Telecommunications is. Um, but uh, you know, almost every business meeting that I entered. Um, and that's either as a sales representative or just as a representative of MCI Telecommunications. Um, as Danielle has already mentioned, I was either the only or one of the only um, people of color hmm. uh, in that room. Um, and um, the the hope, though, because I'm talking probably 25 years ago now. Mm-hmm. So since then, there has been uh, an explosion of diversity in our country. And if if, if organizations and companies don't get this diversity thing right, um, then they're going to suffer, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so you know, I think this conversation is is extremely important, mm-hmm. um, and and it's a conversation that needs to happen in this in this time. Not just because of all of the racial stuff going on, you know. Since the early two thousands, we have been increasing in diversity in our country. Yet, those statistics that you just read off remain kind of stable. Mm-hmm. And so that's an issue that that's a problem. Um, and I hope to get into some of those those issues and, and problems further on in our discussion. 
Yeah, we will. You know, I think it creates, and this is sort of uh, a little preview of what we'll talk about in a few minutes, but it, it kind of creates a, a certain scarcity and even uh, poverty of talent. You know, when we look at statistics like uh, LinkedIn has uh, of their uh, employee base, 5% are Latino and 3% are Black. Google is very similar, 3% Latino, 2% Black. Intel, 8% Latino, 4% Black. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that does not reflect the reality of the demographics of the United States, yeah. for example. Yeah, that's um, right. And that's a problem for many reasons, uh, which we're, again, we're going to get into in a little while. Um, but I'd like to just talk about the uh, inequality there because, you know, when we say that, what we're really talking about is that if, if you're kind of philosophically coming from the perspective that there is no difference between uh, the uh, intellectual and professional abilities and capabilities of someone who's white versus someone who's African-American or Latino, and yet there are these incredible disparities when we look at the demographics, then we have to ask ourselves, why are there inequities that are present and in such dramatic ways as they are, you know, so I'd love to hear both of you just share your perspective on some of the reasons for that. Yeah, I think one of the biggest reasons is there is an unacknowledged racial bias in hiring. Mm. And that is easy to say, but it's another thing to look within yourself and figure out how you have been complicit or been a part of that problem becoming a cycle that perpetuates itself. And a lot of it has to do with realizing our own unintended, sometimes in hidden biases, and taking some inventory, uh, developing our own emotional intelligence through this. And, and what I mean by that is when you go through and look at applications and screen resumes, um, there are often names that are appear to be more ethnic, more traditional African-American names that are there when you're looking through a candidate pool. And we know that statistically speaking, 50% um, African-Americans are 50% less likely to get a call back, especially those that have African-American sounding um, names um, as a result of a job interview or screening their resumes. And a lot of that has to do with the bias that we have inside without even realizing it. And the mm -hmm. case in point, when it comes to just looking at how our brain functions, I find it to be very interesting that with emotional intelligence, our, our thinking, our thoughts, our ideas first go through the limbic system, which is where we process how we feel. That happens first before mm. we even get to the rational part of our brain. So just naturally speaking, our emotions and things like that are, are coming in faster than they can get to the rational part of our brain. So it takes some time for us to pause, recognize what we are feeling as a result of the stimulus we see, you know, a name that's more ethnic or experience that's not exactly aligned to what you thought you needed for that role mm -hmm. and taking some time to realize that potential hidden bias you have there and allowing the rational part of your brain to be able to have some time to weigh in. Um, so... I think that is one of the big drivers of, of inequality. Another fear is um, just a fear of diversity overall. Um, it's the fear of, of the unknown. For um, a lot of people, uh, we have grown up in largely de facto segregated uh, environments where there wasn't mandated segregation or there isn't anymore. Uh, but we grew up within communities where a lot of people look like us, thought like us. And um, there's a fear of the unknown, fear of that uncertainty that's there. Um, and then I think there also is... Um, a misplaced fear of hiring to meet a quota and not mm -hmm. hiring the best talent. And mm -hmm. we will dispel that belief um, thoroughly by the end of this podcast. But there is a um, misperception that by hiring a diversity candidate, you're somehow hiring someone who is not to the same quality of their white counterpart, which is not true. We're looking to hire diversity candidates that are also equally competent and qualified for these roles. Um, and I think, you know, another uh, big uh, driver of the inequality 
here is access and opportunity. Um, I've seen so many smart African-American people go to school, get educated, and then come back to their own communities just to find out that they don't have, they haven't established the same access and opportunity that their white counterparts, for instance, may have been born into, where they're more likely to have circles of um, organic circles of people who are um, executives, who are CEOs, who are um, senior leaders that can help them to understand where their place may be in this um, with their career. They may help them to be able to do uh, job shadowing. They may help them to be able to see a little bit of themselves in that executive and in that leader at an earlier age, which then correlates also to their um, to their success. Great points. It's so funny because before Daniel, oh, as she was speaking, I'm writing these words down, and she pretty much mentioned every one of them. And there's three. It's three things that when we start talking about disparity in our country. Um, that I think about. Number one is implicit and unrecognized biases, number one. Number two, they come from a racialized society. And people don't don't understand that we have all been raised in a racialized society. I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. And then the third thing, which Danielle mentioned, is we've been raised in a segregated society, not governmental regulated segregation, but because of uh, the implicit biases that we're talking about um, because of continued racism in our country, we are still segregated. Um, and there are a number of reasons why that has happened. I don't, and maybe we'll get into them. I'm not sure. But uh, until we get to a place where we are um, as a, as a, as a people group, whether that's in the corporate space, um, the private sector, whatever, until we begin to deal with the fact that we all have these implicit and many times unrecognized biases as we're making decisions, as we're looking at resumes, as we are trying to diversify our companies. You know, I was I was presenting to this this company. Uh, this probably about seven eight years ago, and so I was I was talking to them. This is in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I was talking to them about how, as an organization, if you want to begin to diversify, you've got to go to different places to to begin to to develop that. That 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 pipeline of right. um, colored of people of color, and so um, so I said, you know, number one, there are a number of HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities in this area. I said that you can go to and set up your booths just like you do at white colleges in the area, and and there was a gentleman sitting in the room, and, and he said, um, why must I lower my standards to hire people of color? And I said, it's interesting Ooh. that you said that, sir, because right. I never said anything about lowering your standards. Mm-hmm. I just said, go to HBCU. So even in that statement, there is an implicit bias that when you're hiring people of color, that you're hiring some somewhat of a lesser candidate. Yeah. And so, and that's some of the things that we've got to deal with as leaders um, to allow folks to understand that, no, we're not saying hire just to be, just to have a person of color in your organization. What we're saying is you have um, very high and qualified people of color in this country who are looked over simply because of some of the things Danielle has said. Um, and, and I say primarily because of these implicit biases. So until we, until we begin to deal with those, this issue will continue, even though the country is getting diverse. Um, until you get people in your space at the at the t- at the tables of leadership that are actually willing and able 
to engage conversations like this, um, nobody's really going to 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 even understand that, man, that decision I just made was was predicated on something that I believe that's been ingrained in me through the racialization in our society. That's so good. I think to add, you know, to put some personal skin on this, you know, in terms of um, a personal story, when I was early on in my career, I was a human resources manager before I came to Michael Hyde and Company. I'm now the director of, of human resources, but I was interacting with a client who I interacted with initially via email and over the phone. And oddly enough, when I went to greet them, um, their implicit bias became something that they verbalized when they were very visually surprised at my appearance and made a comment hmm. because they made the assumption that I was a person of a different color, not a person of color, because of how professional I was, because of how I spoke, hmm. uh, because of how I communicated. Hmm. And it's those kind of things that usually are typically not said. That person showed their hand there, of course, in the moment. Um, but those are the kind of implicit biases that exist within you know a lot of us. If we just pause long enough to realize how our society, how, how, how we were raised, how those things have influenced us. And it doesn't make us bad people that we have those initial thoughts, but it does make us, it's a very important for us to hold ourselves accountable to changing that trajectory of those thoughts and how that plays out in the workplace and amongst the people who we interact with on a regular basis. Well, a couple of things that stood out in what you guys just shared, you know, number one, as leaders and employers, we're missing out. And again, we're going to talk more about this kind of the business case for it uh, later, but we are missing out on amazing talent because frankly, you know, our perspective is narrow and we have these implicit biases that are kind of at work in the background of our minds that we're not even aware of. Um, and that hurts our businesses ultimately, you know, also there's, it's, it's very morally problematic too, that hope goes without saying. Um, but I think beyond that, like it's, it's, um, you know, it's really crippling our businesses because we don't have access to all the talent that's available as our world becomes more diverse. The other thing though, you know, Danielle, actually when both of you were talking, I thought to myself, one of the things we talk about a lot on lead to win as a prere prerequisite for effective leadership is self-awareness. And in order to, uh, mm -hmm. first, if you're going to lead people well, the first thing you have to do is lead yourself well and be aware of your impact in the world. You know, you really can't become more effective unless that's in place. And I think this idea that there is a racialized uh, socialization that has happened in our world, really, since the beginning of our country and, you know, even even before that, that's just kind of woven into the fabric of our DNA as humans, especially if we're white, uh, to, to kind of accept that that is reality. And, uh, you know, I think the more reading you do on this, the the clearer it is, the statistics are there, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's so much that's been done on this topic, um, that, you know, we spend a lot of time, especially if you're hiring people regularly, doing things like saying, oh, well, I'm not racist, you know, I would never do that. And honestly, I have felt so freed. Um, and Anthony, we've talked a lot about this in the public and our in our work there. But you know, just to say, actually, I have a lot of racist tendencies. That's just kind mm -hmm. of the world. That's the water that I have been swimming in since the day I was born and all right. the people that came before me. And my job is to become aware of it so that I can choose something different, not to spend a whole lot of time trying to deny it because it's just, it's just part of how we think. And so that's why we wanted to bring this conversation to you uh, because we felt like, you know what, this is an area of a uh, really an invitation actually to self-awareness 
this in the context of leadership that uh, has potentially huge implications, not just for your own business or your team, but also for the world at large. And I think this is one of the most important ways these things get changed and systemically they get changed is, you know, when leaders make decisions um, to, to create more diverse workplaces and really deal with their own implicit biases and those that are kind of baked into their culture that may be unaware of. Megan, I think you freed up a whole lot of people's minds just by saying that and being able to have the freedom to realize that you're not, we're not perfect. There are implicit biases, you mm-hmm. know, that we do have and we need to now be responsible for working through them. Yeah, I think, you know, Robin D'Angelo in her book, White Fragility, she brings up this whole concept of this good, bad binary that people yes. get stuck in. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, because people think if I'm racist, then I'm a bad person. Mm-hmm. That that immediately kind of pulls them away from the discussion because they don't want to be bad people, right? And so, but what what she says in her book is, you know, it's not a good bad thing. It is just a it's a function of the country that we have all been raised in. We all have racism and racist tendencies that we are wrestling with, or that's right, or are are part of. Um, and until we begin to wrestle with them, understanding that. It's not that I'm a bad person. It's just that these things are implicitly in me. Mm-hmm. And until I begin to deal with them, I'll never get beyond where I am and, and begin to see others as, um, as necessary additions to mm-hmm. our organization to That's make right. us better. You know, back in, the early, uh, yeah, back in the early 2000s, the Harvard Business Review, they released a, a document that, um, that basically said that diversity creates better companies, better organizations. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's because you have all of these different perspectives at the table, helping you either make decisions, helping you reach your, your demographic, your, your, your client, your customer demographic, all of those things um, that, that, that diversity brings to the table that you don't have when you have one specific people group with one thought press, so, excuse me, thought process sitting at the table making decisions. That's right. Any more than you want, you know, all accountants or all idea people. I mean, we all know that diversity is beneficial when you're looking for solutions. That, I think, is a perfect transition for us to talk about kind of the, the moral case and the business case for diversity, because we talked a lot about what it is and why it happens. But let's let's kind of get down to it and really talk about, um, you know, why should we prioritize diversity? If, if we're in positions of leadership, if we're business owners or employers in any capacity, why should this be something that we do? Anthony, why don't you answer first on that one? I want to say McDonald's does a great job with this, right? Um, it is obvious that McDonald's has people of color sitting at their marketing table mm-hmm. as they are producing commercials or what have you that are lending their uh, their perspectives to how they produce these commercials and how they reach a, a different demographic depending on where they are in our country. And, and that is the beauty of diversity and not just in commercials, but also in business decisions that are being made. Listen, I want all thought processes at the table with me. I don't want everybody that's just going to agree with whatever point I come up with. I want people who are going to push back. Uh, I need people who are going to think a little differently than I do so that once that, that conversation is engaged, then we now have a collective thought process that we're lending into whatever it is that we're trying to do. And so I think it's extremely important to bring 
differences of opinion, differences of perspective, um, differences of experience to the table in, in whatever it is, whatever decision you're trying to make. I just thought about McDonald's when you said that mm-hmm. um, as we're le- as we're leaning in, into this conversation. That's great. Danielle, what about you? So diversity is something that is hugely important. And we, we touched on this a little bit in the beginning of the podcast, but uh, the case for diversity is not just a moral one, which should be compelling enough, right? It's the right thing to do. Um, we have an opportunity to be able to affect change in our organizations and uh, to be able to help you know people who have previously hit a, a ceiling and um, been up against odds that have not been in their favor to be able to right those wrongs. But but beyond that, the reasons that we really need to pursue diversity is it makes it makes sense in terms of profitability. It helps us as an organization, as organizations, to make sure that we are able to foresee blind spots. I cannot even count um, how many uh, blind spots organizations have had in their marketing, um, their customer service, their uh, products that have been created, blunders that could have been prevented um, if there was a more uh, diverse think tank that they were working with internally to try and foresee what what different values do people have based upon what people group they're from. You know, um, there are uh, people uh, of different backgrounds that value family, uh, that value relationships, honor, and all those things very differently than other than other groups do. And that influences how we come up with products, how we market to them, um, and how we foresee being able to address the felt needs that our customer bases have. Um, and also, when you look at the workforce and what the workforce demands, you know, we know that 83% of all millennials are more likely to be actively engaged only if they uh, believe that their company stimulates a diverse and inclusive culture. Mm -hmm. So again, it's not just something that is recommended or a suggestion. This is literally what your workforce is requiring of you to to continue to be relevant as an organization for them. Um, And then we also know that 80% of people value diversity in the workplace across all people groups and ethnicities. Um, But then also 57% of employees want to see their company increase and prioritize diversity. So, uh, and this goes, you know, we'll talk about this in just a minute in the podcast, but um, but how you prioritize not only diversity in terms of recruiting effort, that recruiting efforts, that's one thing, but then creating a work environment that's conducive for people of color to want to stay yeah. and to learn and to grow and to prosper long term is yeah, something entirely different. Yeah. Um, and we have to think about that in terms of the benefits that we are creating. Are they benefits that allow people of diverse backgrounds to, to continue to grow, to um, to learn how to develop, you know, further their own leadership skills, uh, emotional intelligence, their communication ability, uh, to have the chance to cross-train in areas of passion and proficiency that are sometimes aligned with their current job and sometimes they're not. Sometimes there are new areas that they will develop and grow as a result of proficiencies that, are, that they're gaining along the way. Um, but the case for diversity really helps to make sure that companies out there are sustainable and they have the longevity to be able to to grow uh, over time and to meet the needs of today's marketplace and tomorrow's. I think that's really good, Danielle. You know, we've had a lot of conversations at Michael Hyatt and Company about this. And it's interesting because I suspect that what's happened within our company has been happening in many, many, many com- uh, companies across the country mm-hmm. in the last several months. Um, you know, after George Floyd was murdered, um, we had many people on our team saying, what's our response to this? You know, where where do we stand? Yeah. What's our plan for the future? How are we going to be part of the solution? And I, I've heard anecdotally from, you know, other friends or certainly reading in 
in papers and, you know, the news that this is a conversation that's happening across the board, particularly among younger workers. You know, as we're thinking about the future of our company, we're thinking about, um, you know, talent acquisition and retention, not just for people of color, but for our entire workforce, that um, where we stand on these issues and uh, kind of being forward thinking on this is really, really important. You know, being on the right side of history is really important to our teams. And, uh, and it does not go unnoticed which end of the spectrum you fall on, you know, so I think that's important and a big point that you're making. The other, the other thing, of course, is that, uh, the United States and, and really everywhere is becoming more diverse all the time. So, th- so diversity is happening with or without you, you know, it's kind of like get on board or get left behind, yeah. um, you know, because this is where our culture is moving. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't help to stick our heads in the sand, figuratively speaking, um, and just kind of think that this isn't an issue because this is going to be the world that we live in. If we don't want to be irrelevant um, and not understand our constituency, then this is really critical. One of the things I want to dig into just for a second is why this is good for companies. We talked about this a little bit, but I think this is this is really critical. And if you're a leader and you're leading a team or you know business owner, I want you really to um, you know perk your ears up at this because uh, this is where kind of the rubber meets the road. So, for example, there's a book called The Diversity Bonus. The author is Scott Page, uh, who says that diversity provides access to more talent by widening the pool. Better solutions to challenges by gaining cognitive diversity, people who think different uh, and in different patterns, and that it's better for your business because there uh, is is really kind of a phenomenon in which the sum is greater than the parts. You know, we all know that innovation, our world is is moving at a an unprecedented speed, and the need for innovation and innovative thinking and diverse thinking and solutions has never been more important. I mean, in 2020, I feel like that that's even been taken up to another level. You know, everything's been accelerated. And so the more different ways of thinking we can get around the table, which come from different life experiences and different perspectives, the, the better off we are. You know, Absolutely. it's it's just like more tools in our toolbox. Um, Anthony, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it's funny when you were saying that my, my immediate thought went to the biases again, right? Yeah. So, because um, I think most most of your listeners would probably be shaking their heads like we were. Like, yeah, man, that that is that is absolutely what needs to happen. But then to actually go in and begin to make those decisions, right? Um, again, I think I think a lot of our leaders today um, are going to have to fight against their own implicit biases as they're mm-hmm. trying to develop these 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 teams of diversity. And that's again, I want your listeners to understand. I am not calling you a bad person. Right. What I am saying is these things exist in all of us. Mm-hmm. And um, until we begin to push against that that internal feeling, that internal thought process that we have as we're looking at resumes or as we're looking at potential uh, employees, you've got to deal with that in some way, shape, form or fashion um, before you move forward. Because if, if not, all of your decisions are going to be predicated on that internal bias. Um, and then this is a great point that Daniel, I just need to make it again. <laughs> once you, once you get people into your organization, that's when the hard work starts. That's right. Right. Because you now have to create an environment where they want to stay. Mm-hmm. Like I've talked to many people that have gotten into organizations and or churches mm-hmm. 
And because there is not a, a continuous plan uh, developed to make sure that your people of color are engaged and are included, then what happens is they just end up leaving. And then, and then what happens is, you know, normally people say, well, you know, we gave them an opportunity. They just didn't mm. want to stay. There, there, is, there is one thing to get people into your organization. There is another thing to create real inclusiveness, is, is, I guess is what I'm saying, to where that person really feels like they are a part of the organization and they feel welcomed in every aspect of the organization and or uh, church. And I think the other thing that's really important is that people can leave. We know that if they don't feel included in a part and seen and heard, but they can also become silent, which we don't mm. want that either, mm. right? We don't yes. want diverse people to come to our organizations and then be silent and not speak up in moments when we value uh, their opinions. We value their professional expertise. We value their unique perspective. And as an organization, it, it behooves all of us. And we do this intentionally from the very first interview with Michael Hyatt and company, but it's important that we develop a sense of trust mm. and a place of uh, safety for our employees or prospective employees. Um, because if we have people sitting around the table and they don't feel confident enough, they don't feel okay and safe enough to speak up and challenge an idea from our COO or a senior manager or whoever it may be and say, you know what, I think um, this is how I would look at it or here, this is my experience or have we considered doing this or doing that? Um, and when you look at the book, the diversity bonus book, it talks specifically about how important it is to develop trust within those teams first mm. before you have the expectation mm. for you to be able to leverage that diversity bonus. That bonus is essentially canceled out if you you can't create a safe environment for your employees to be able to to speak up and to be heard. And and one of the simple ways, you know, to do that is even just um, in the interviewing process, taking some time to listen very closely to the the felt needs, the concerns, the interests, the life experience of whoever you are preparing to hire, to make sure that you are aware of them and that you're figuring out figuring out ways on a regular basis to meet those needs. They help to inform your benefits. They help to inform your your policies that make this you know hopefully that make your organization a great place to work. Yeah. But without that constantly being on your mind as a leader of an organization, um, you have to pursue it intentionally. If you don't, then those people, they will either leave or become silent. And we don't really want either of those mm. things to happen. That's really good. And Danielle, you have been an amazing leader in this and visionary, really, at Michael Hyde and Company, because I think uh, at so many levels, you have just pioneered our hiring process and uh, our, you know, culture cultivation, for lack of a better way to say it, you know, how we take care of our team members. Uh, I think you've just done a phenomenal job of that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next episode. I'm struggling because I want to just keep going, keep going, keep going, because there's so many questions I, I know our listeners have and that I have for the two of you. Um, but I think we're, we're going to kind of start winding it down here so we can transition to the the how-to part in our, our next episode. But I want to ask you this, as we're kind of thinking about digesting all this information and what do we do with it, what does it mean to create a company culture that is truly anti-racist. And by that, I mean, in case that's a new uh, term for those of you listening, it's, you know, not enough to just be not racist, you know, like the absence of, of racism. We want to be actively for, as leaders, justice and equity and opportunity and all kinds of things, you know, so that's what I mean when I say anti-racist. But what, what does it mean to each of you to create a company culture that is truly anti-racist? 
That's good. I think the first thing that that comes to mind for me is that policies and work environments, they can't really be neutral. They either continue to uphold racist ideals and systems or they deconstruct them. So when you look at it from that vantage point, um, you have to really ask yourself as an organizational leader, okay, what are some things that I can do to not just not be racist, but really be anti-racist. And, you know, that really includes inviting um, people of color, women and diverse groups, you know, into think tanks when you're considering um, different products that your company is wanting to create, whether they're part of that particular department that would typically be creating the content um, for those products or creating the actual product itself, inviting them in to be a part of evaluating the efficacy of the plan that you have um, that you're considering putting in place. Um, inviting those individuals in to um, look at your benefits and policy changes and uh, things that you're considering changing to positively, or so you think, to positively impact an organization. Um, it includes just taking some time, you know, every six months or so, you know, to make sure that you are in touch with the needs of your team and figuring out new ways that you can be um, anti-racist. One of the, the great examples that I have personally loved is um, I just came back from a maternity leave with Michael Hyde and company not long ago, but when I came back to work, one of the first things I was greeted with was a personal message, a direct message from our CEO about the recent um, racial events that have been taking place or that have been highlighted because they've always you know, been taking place um, that have been happening in our, in our country. And he was expressing his, his concern. Um, he was expressing his commitment to help to prevent these things from happening in the future. And really, above all else, checking to see if I was okay. And he did this for each and every one of, you know, the black employees that we have here at Michael Hyatt and Company. But that's a way where he's really being a proponent of anti-racism. Um, it really would have been perfectly fine or okay to just make a public stance on social media or on our company website about our stance. But when you don't make it personal, that just makes all the difference. When you take the time to interact with people individually and show that you are an ally, that you are um, trying to be anti-racist with how you are approaching your professional relationships, your policies, your, um, your benefits, and the impact that you're making to your community. Awesome points, Danielle. I, I would add to that um, two words. Um, courage and intentionality. Mm, um, that's good. I mean, when you begin to speak out on issues of race um, and inequality, you will see people come out of the woodwork that you didn't know had specific ideas or ideologies around this particular topic. It is a hot button topic and it has always been in our country. And so as a leader, um, it's going to take some courage to stand up and really be anti-racist. It's one thing to say I'm not a racist, and we, you know, we've touched on that a little bit. Um, but it's going to take a lot of courage uh, as a leader um, uh, to to lead your organization in a way that is anti-racist. The second thing is intentionality. And Danielle's her story about how her CEO called her. That's an intentional step um, towards allowing their employees to understand and know that. Listen, I see you. As African-Americans, a lot of times we feel invisible. Mm -hmm. um, and so to to specifically take some time to either send an email or pick up, um, you know, I work for Amazon, right? Amazon has no bones about it. They have, they have supported the African-American community during this whole thing. I got a personal email from Jeff Bezos. I guess it went out to all of his African-American employees to specifically say, I stand with you. Let me know if there's anything that we can do. 
and and of course, you know, they they are they are for um, all like all kinds of inclusion and diversity. Um, but it, it, it's an intentionality that Bezos and every other leader within Amazon understands. And that was a courageous thing to do um, because you have some companies who kind of step back a little bit during all of this, this tension of race in our country. But then you had other organizations that stepped up and said, listen, this is who we are. We have employees. We stand with those employees. Um, and so courage and intentionality are the two things that, in my opinion, are necessary from a leadership perspective in order for companies to be anti-racist. I couldn't say it better than that. That is so great, guys. Thank you for that. Um, it really inspires me. I think as a leader, I hope those of you listening feel the same way. And this is a hard topic. You know, this is intentionally uh, confrontational with our own leadership. You know, we need to kind of embrace the confrontation that we feel uh, when this topic comes up because this is so important. There's so much at stake. And personally, as a leader, the position that I want to have is one of constant learning, of humility, and Anthony, as you said, courage and intentionality. So I think that's a great place to wrap up for today. Um, Thank you guys both for joining me for your time, for your vulnerability, for your courage and sharing your own stories. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us today. We're going to see you right here next time for part two of this conversation, where we're going to dig into some practical solutions for business owners and leaders for creating a more just and equitable workplace. Until then, lead to win. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by our new Full Focus Kids and Full Focus Students Planners. Learn how you can equip your kids for a successful future at fullfocusplanner.com.